wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toronto Till I Die, the Toronto FC podcast for TFC fans. That is now kind of in World Cup mode. We're starting to shift back a little bit. I'm your co-host, Mike Newell, and this week we react to Canada's exit from the World Cup and ask what is next. And I try to kill the sign Seba movement within Toronto FC fandom. Probably these two are going to convince me why it's actually still a good idea. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this week, um, but uh, of course, with my co-hosts, Jeffrey Pinesker and Michael Singh. Boys, how you guys doing? This is the problem with having two mics on the show. On the rundown, when you said Mike tries to kill the sign Seba, I thought you were talking about Mikey Singh, and I was wondering how you were going to structure your <laughs> argument around him, you know, asking asking him attack questions, just throwing out, throwing out little little fibers for him to catch in, in front of a bar. But we had our fun with that last week while Mikey wasn't here. So, uh, how? yeah, I can't wait for you to try and kill the Seba rumors. That'll be fun. I'm yeah. looking forward to that as well. But, yeah, doing well, boys. A lot of, lot of World Cup talk, a lot of World Cup watching. Um, I think this World Cup, just from the soccer perspective, has been absolutely fantastic. It has. Um, actually, I'm a little sad that it's, it's starting to wind down here. It feels like a little mm-hmm. bit, like... You know, I, the analogy I like to use is, you know, when you go on vacation and it's like your fifth day and you're already thinking about, oh man, like how many days do I have left? Like it's, it's already coming back to the emails piling up. Yeah. The emails. Yeah. Yeah. That's why never, and never check your credit card statement, especially if you're in Europe, (laughs) just leave it alone because it will, it will accelerate that process. But yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it. It seems like a month's a long time, and then two and a half weeks into it, you're like, oh, it's not quite that long. But I will say this. I think I'll take a little break, maybe a day from watching soccer, because I've seen only balls and kits for like nothing, for, for a very long well, time you, you now. You get a nice and, uh, little two-day break during it. On- yeah, what are yeah we that's right. There's going to be some withdrawal symptoms. Like, what yeah, are you going to do with no three games? I got to watch Westworld. I have an entire season of Westworld that I haven't even started. <laughs> so that that's on the docket. Yeah. yeah. I've not been watching the White Lotus. Ooh, oh, best so best show on television. Best show on TV. Show. Season two. Season two is unbelievable. We, See, I can I talk about season this one really hours overwhelming. Season one isn't as well written as season two. I mean, Mike White's a genius. He's a very, very, very talented screenwriter, all the way back to Chuck and Buck, his his debut feature. But uh, White Lotus season two is unbelievable. It's it's so well so written. Segment one, so we well talk acted. about uh, White Lotus season one and give our reviews. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's <laughs> go. Though I do have to check it out. I haven't actually gotten into it yet. I'm going to just be doing uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special the whole time. Uh, no, if but... I've seen them both, and let me tell you, do White Lotus instead. Yeah, probably. Take, make, yeah. To make of that what you will, but yeah, do White my, Lotus. My instead. thought yeah. would probably be the same, yeah. but hey, I'm I'm a sucker for uh, for. Good marketing. Um, Quick housekeeping notes uh, before we get into the show proper. Um, As we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, uh, the podcast feed has changed. So uh, search uh, Toronto Till I Die wherever you get your pods. And obviously, if you're watching us in YouTube, great. You found the new channel. Awesome. But tell a friend, uh, search Toronto Till I Die, send them the link. Uh, get them watching uh, the show either live or after the fact. You can watch us in a glorious uh, post view. But gentlemen, let's get into it. 
it's over at least for Canada. Uh, the world mm-hmm. cup is over. We had an exhilarating week in a bit, uh, three games. It, it, it came like a hurricane and then was gone immediately. Um, yep. And, and we've talked about each individual game, uh, on this podcast. So I don't think we need to go back over every single game, but I guess a lot of the thing pieces out there right now is where does this program go? And I guess before we even get into that, just, you know, in your minds, was this a successful World Cup or would you find this a bit of a disappointment? I'm interested to get your takes. Um, for me, it, it can't, I can't say it's a successful World Cup because that would imply that just showing up and being there would mean that it's successful. That is a lot of the narrative, um, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's a successful World Cup, they accomplished that feat in March because they were going to be there yep. regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't Fair. think it was necessarily a disappointing World Cup. I, I would say that the truth probably lies somewhere in between uh, those two things. It was it was what was expected, right? We we came, we sh- we showed up, we put in a valiant effort, a valiant fight. We can't really fault anybody on this this men's national team for their effort. Um, but there's still a clear gap that exists between us and some of the top teams around the world. And that was, that just, that showed to be the case against Croatia specifically, um, Mm -hmm. against Morocco in the first half, that was the case. And you know what? Yeah, sure. We, we can come away from Belgium saying we were the better team, but they, they found a way to win that game. And that's what big, uh, big nations and soccer nations find ways to do. So yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not too upset about it whatsoever. I think we. What What I learned from about this team is that, yes, while that gap still exists, the gap isn't as big as you know we initially thought it was heading into the World Cup. In my opinion, I think we're a lot closer than, than I at least thought we were uh, heading into that tournament. And what I learned from it overall is, man, we need more games against these top mm-hmm. nations, yes. especially very, leading up to the World Cup. That's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, yeah, and I keep I keep thinking about this because you know, I just I apply it to MLS. This is a TFC podcast, right? And very often, you know, you'll make a run to MLS Cup and maybe face a team that you haven't played in the regular season, right? And that's sometimes part of the tactical planning. And this is sort of it writ large, right? I mean, we all know the difficulty. Like, for sure, we'd love to play Brazil in a friendly eight times, but can the CSA afford it? And does Brazil want to come here? Um, I would argue that we maybe did a lot more than the knee-jerk takes are taking into account with respect to that, because we all know the pathway to 2026 is not going to be the same as the pathway to 2022 as a consequence of us pre-qualifying. I mean, obviously, that there's still some work to be done before we can say that's official, but for the most part, we're taking it as gospel. Um, you know... It's funny because we, you know, we talk every week and and we had three clear goals for the men's national team in this World Cup. And we accomplished two of them. Uh, We showed that we can hang and we scored a goal. Um, Obviously, we didn't get a result. And, you know, it's it's tough because this is sports, man. Sports is about hope. I don't know how many times we have to say it. And as learned as we think we are. um, You know, you still get caught up in the squirrel, you know, squirrel. Right. Like in and. Uh, it's we suddenly got caught up in the hoopla and and yeah it's you know i think these postmortems need to come so people can get more on point if there even is a common ground with with just what needs to be done but i i agree with you i mean 
36 years is a long time. And uh, I mean, just look at the difference between Belgium in four year, in a four-year cycle. It's a long time. Our boys learned a lot. Our coach learned a lot. Our federation learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I know that that sounds like just happy to be there uh, talk, but that I think that glosses over the reality, which is this is the big dance. And you can think about it as much as you like, and you can plan for it as much as you like, but nothing, absolutely nothing matches game experience. And you, you know, you hear it from other teams. It's not just Canada. Um, we, we saw it with TFC in 2016. Losing sometimes is the last step that you have to take. Failure before you succeed. And that's what I'd like to think is, is going to be happening with our Canadian men's national team. But I have a lot of trepidation about this next cycle because I do think uh, auto qualifying may be a bit of a blessing and a curse as most things often are. But, uh, you know... It, that, well, that's it, what fills me with dread. Yeah, and I think that depends on sort of to both your points about how how the nation and how the, the federation sort of takes the next three and a bit years leading up to the World Cup in terms mm-hmm. of being able to find those high-quality opponents. You know, do you suck it up and kind of find the money to be a entrant into Copa America, right? And now, of course conversations between CONCACAF and Ball that may end up naturally happening anyway because there's been talk mm-hmm. about merging uh the two confederations for competition so that and it's also it's naturally. also got historical precedent they all common ball loves to invite uh, uh teams from other federations to make up the numbers. well they have to all, right all the, they, yeah exactly they have exactly. the 10 right so they have to yeah, so yeah. you know can you get into something like that can you start booking these type of friendlies i i, I look i'm on two minds of it initially after you know the morocco game yeah i was disappointed like i i I, you know to me this was a bit of a disappointing world cup in the sense that i really did think this team could get into his tournament and get a result um and in a lot of ways you start thinking about the belgium game and thinking about how slow and and disjointed and frankly ununified that team was now of course we know that in hindsight Mm-hmm. reading all the reports about you know how fractured that locker room was but you know you kind of feel like you know if you just take your chances when you have those moments you know you get it you you possibly walk away with three points and you got to start thinking that what if especially as you look around this tournament and see so many upsets in the group stage now of course the knockout stages have proven to have the cream rise to the top of course but everything regresses to the mean exactly always, always. exactly yeah, yeah. right and, and, and but i think you were in for a shout but of course yes there is reality yes michael you're right this team isn't there yet uh in terms of the best countries in the world and it, it got a sharp lesson in that the question is, will the CSA, will Canada soccer learn from this? And historically, they haven't, right? When we've no, gone to World right. Cups, when you're we've right. gone but to let me, they haven't learned. Let me interject because I don't think it's as much of a talent issue. I mean, we'll talk about uh, a, a short bench and all that stuff, but I don't necessarily think it's a talent issue. I've heard this bandied around in some of the better articles that I've read, the, best, the better postmortem and Twitter threads. Canada were very naive. And it and it's and it go it goes right down the line. I mean, Alfonso Davies taking that penalty, Atiba Hutchinson staying in for longer than he should on on several occasions. There was a certain naivete, uh, and and that's why I keep coming back to nothing matches game experience. You have to hope that the powers that be, and that includes the CSA, um, take this on the chin, and then don't make the same mistake again. 
And I always come back to Herdman because one of my favorite things about John Herdman is he's proven that he doesn't make the same mistake twice for the most part. He learns from his mistakes. He's got the humility required of a leader in this capacity. And that fills me with, with positivity because this is a guy that I think, you know, has taken his licks here as regardless of how we feel about the F Croatia thing, which I think is, 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 is been overcooked. Um, you know, he, he got a lot wrong tactically. He really did. I don't think that that's uh that that's a, that's a bad thing to say. No, I don't think so. But you think he can tactically evolve. Like the, one of the things we have here as a talk boy is just, you know, mm. do we think he can tactically evolve? Cause I think in this world cup, you're right. He was exposed on several occasions. Um, and you know, Mike, just, just, interested in in terms of your thoughts on John Herdman yeah me too and and what you think his next step in terms of being an evolution as a coach of this national team is uh heading into 2026 he says he's going to be the manager so <laughs> yeah I mean we'll, we'll see about that one yeah <laughs> uh, you never know what offer will come along for a guy like John Herman who quite frankly deserves really great offers uh, I think he's earned that uh, based on his resume and what he's accomplished over the last i mean honestly since dating back to when he's coach of the women's team he continues to be in his words a pioneer for canada soccer and hey his actions back that up so uh we'll see if he still is the manager of 2026 i think that that would actually be a huge win for canada now in terms of tactically yeah man like john herdman is such a learner he is such a student of the game and he's a guy who has shown, even within games, within matches, the ability to adapt and change his team if need be 100%. and adjust. And he, he's great at reading the game and, uh, and doing what's necessary. Um, listen, like you have to also play with the cards that you're dealt. I know that's a, that's a cliche, but... It's true. You have to mm-hmm. look at what your roster is, who are the best players available, and how do you get the best out of those players. And the one thing I'll always credit John Herman for, uh, this is honestly something that's kind of glossed over now that we're, we're so far past it, but adjusting to a back three and mm-hmm. moving to a back three was so important based on the personnel that the Canadian men's national team had. Very true. Right? The biggest question mark for years and years with this team is, when are we going to get good defenders? When are we going to get good center backs? What John Herman was able to identify was, hey, we have two guys, two fullbacks that are, you know, they're pretty big in stature. They're they're pacey, but, you know, they could probably play a role at center backs and bang. You, th- you throw them into a back three. Obviously, I'm talking about Kamal Miller and Alistair Johnston. Obviously. Back yep, yep. three was Stephen Victoria. And all of a sudden, Canada's defense during CONCACAF was one of the best stories uh, for this men's national team moving forward. That just that's just goes along with what I'm saying. Like depends on the players and personnel that you have. Your ability to adjust and, and play different styles of, of play is so huge um, moving forward. Now, obviously, 2026, the team is going to look fairly different. You're going to have no Atiba, probably no Steven Vittoria, maybe no Milan Borian. But you're also going to have a lot of guys coming through the ranks, you know, some talented wingers. Who knows what dual nationals are going to pop up for this men's national team. Mm-hmm. That's going to change the way I think John Herman approaches it. He's shown he's capable of playing four at the back if he needs to into a 4-3-3, you know, a double pivot, 
whatever you want guys, the terms you guys want to throw out there, John Herman's tried it uh, throughout the mm-hmm. course of his tenure. So his ability Absolutely. to tactically adapt and adjust, uh, I'm not worried about that whatsoever. I think we're going to see something something new up his sleeve. Every but time I guess I guess my question leads into sort of, you know, from the Croatia game and, and a little bit from the Morocco game in the sense that at times he played a two-man midfield when, when clearly a three-man midfield would have been better. You know, the midfield got overrun in both games. You know, was he a little slow in making tactical changes at that point in terms of, you know, Jeff, you made it earlier, keeping a Tiba in too long or not bringing mm-hmm. Jonathan Osorio in or another midfielder in to just bolster and add some more support in times where they were outnumbered uh, in the midfield? I guess, can he tactically in-game evolve? The answer in terms of historically points to yes. But again, you know, this is a little bit different in terms of it's going into a home World Cup. You know, he's going to have to find some new answers uh, on the team. And, you know, will he be able to to learn and structure uh, the team in game when things are not quite going the way you sort of planned out on your vision board? I mean, we've seen it. We've seen him do it in the in the lead up to qualification. Um, you know, the old adage is, uh, you know, try to play the game, not the occasion. And I think in, in this case, the occasion got the better of us top to down. Uh, and that's fair. It's the big dance. It's the first time in 36 years. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of media. These are not veterans um, for the most part. And even the veterans on our team, this was this was brand new for most of them. Um, I can't see that happening again. I just can't, um, you know, if, if the World Cup were to start again tomorrow, I can't see it happening again. That being said, you know, imagine the difference had we had Jonathan David taken that penalty kick and we had scored against Belgium or had Scott Kennedy come to the World Cup to platoon for Vittoria. Would we have been exposed on 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 long balls uh, uh, over over our back line as often, um, you know, at this level? which is the pen, the ultimate level of the sport that we love so much, it's really, really, really fine margins. And, uh, you know, again, the tactical, I mean, the question, can he tactically evolve? We saw it in an, on a negative aspect during this World Cup. So, you know, one thing that I'm sure John Herdman is capable of is evolution. Um, and now it's just, it stands to see, will we evolve in the way that we'd like to see ourselves evolve, will we use this as the stepping stone that we'd all like to see it happen in this linear path, which of course is ridiculous and it won't work that way. Um, but, you know, he like, I have faith. I, I, I absolutely have faith in, in the gaffer. It's funny, Jeff, because mm-hmm. prior to this World Cup and even up to that Belgium match, we were holding John Herdman up on such an incredible pedestal, yeah, right? To absolutely. the point where he can almost do no wrong. And even the 20 minutes into that Croatia match, we're thinking the same thing when Canada yeah. obviously took the, the lead. And John Herdman. Like, wow, John years. Herdman got got this right once again, starting mm-hmm. Kyle Lahren and leaving Junior Hoylet out and leaving Sam Adekubi on the bench. But as this World Cup has evolved and, and gone on, and specifically his – you know, his comments, obviously, that's that's going to overshadow a lot of what other things that he did uh, throughout this World Cup. But now we're, we're having these conversations about John Herman, about whether or not he is the right guy 
to potentially manage this team in 2026. You know, I'm not saying you, me, and Mike are having these conversations, but there's there's discourse. Out oh, there, there right? yeah, oh yeah, oh absolutely, absolutely. Which which I'll I'll throw this to you guys, and I'll open the door here. Do you guys think John Herman's stock increased or decreased, whether it be in Canada or globally? Uh, increased, decreased, really. Okay, yeah, I think it's increased. I one hundred percent increased. Go first. Go ahead. Go first. Oh, okay, yeah. so Jeff, go ahead, and then I'll I'll go. Ahead. Well, I mean, it's a results based business, and uh, this this we saw this version of John Herdman's ceiling. So you know, had he had we gotten a result, had we made it out of the group stage, had he lived up to this enormous billing, the sky's the limit. But there's an asterisk next to him now. And I got to remind you, you know, club football and 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 uh, international football are very, very, very different beasts. Um, you know, just think about it. Like, put yourself in the shoes of 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 a, of a moneyed board of a team. Would you be as willing to take a chance on signing John Herdman as your gaffer now versus two and a half weeks ago? And and for me, it's a no brainer. I see. I think for that exact reason, that's why clubs would take a chance at a flyer on him because he took a team. Think about this, right? And we've been talking about it. What a time Canada soccer, mm. the men's national team has come from almost virtually quote unquote, nowhere to, to making a world cup. There is a club team out there with maybe re- limit more limited resources. Let's put it that way. And there's the we rub. Like this. Yeah. Is, yeah. We will look at yeah. John Herbin and say, Hey, I've got a talented squad, but I need somebody to come in and really create a program for my players to improve and get better and the idea is maybe we sell them on for profit but we know that he can take young players and make them better and make an overall team better and i think that will be attractive to a lot of uh clubs i mean whether it's in england i I think that will probably be his best bet because he's english obviously and in that sort of sentimentality will, will help for him I uh, to your point, Michael. You said it a little bit earlier. You alluded to it a little bit earlier. I wouldn't be shocked if a club came in and offered him a job in the next, say, year, right? If they come in and say, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're building something here. Let's give this guy an opportunity. He's not gonna cost us a lot. You know, we'll have limited funds, but he'll be able to work with the people that we have and make them better." And I think for that reason, I think his stock has increased. And uh, and there's a possibility that he could be gone by 2025. You see, I, I have to counter there because because his stock didn't increase. Now he's getting low ball offers from mid tier teams, whereas before the expectation was big time offers from top tier. Uh, I don't know so, if it was. I don't so, know if the expectation was big time offers. Like I never. CF saw him. Montreal needs a new manager. Damn, Richard <laughs> yeah. Greenberg. Damn, yeah, that's, that's cold. he's not going there. Ice Why would he ever cold. want to go with Joey Saputo? Oh god. Ugh. I mean, I listen, just putting on my 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 soccer board shoes, board member shoes or owner shoes, putting on my glazer shoes. Um his skill set's entirely mutually exclusive. Like he can he can get dual nationals over. He can institute a program for a squad during camps. Totally unproven on the domestic scene. Um and you've seen, for lack of a better word, <coughs> his failings writ large at this recent World Cup. I, I can't I can't say it any other way. There, to me, his stock has fallen, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, that's the reason I asked the question, because I think it's, <coughs> it's honestly, it could go either way. Like, I could, I could hear Jeff's argument, and I could hear Mike, your argument. I personally 
would say globally his stock has dropped and decreased. Um, the reason being the biggest storyline, whether we're in England, whether we're in Spain, whether we're in Portugal, especially if we're in Croatia, the biggest storyline worldwide for Canada soccer was John Herman's comments, which came back to backfire. So when people that are from afar are looking at this Canadian men's national team, that's what they're talking about. And that's the story that they're reading. And obviously, once again, that came back to backfire. And it was a, a learning thing. And I know you and I, Mike, we shake our head because it's so stupid. It's so uh, offbeat for John Herdman. And you can't really hold him accountable for his comments. But the reality is a lot of people do. And uh, You can hold him accountable. I, but Yeah, I can hold him accountable. But I don't think a, a, there's a club out there who's going to be like, nah. That's going to be the thing that scares them away, right? Like if there's any Jose Mourinho gets hired all the time, and right? like well, Jose right Mourinho has playbook, a couple of yeah. Champions League, yeah, yeah, bag, right? Sure but like, but, sure but the same thing, right? Like, I, I think there are clubs out there that are going to sort of be like, well, okay, he does that, that's fine, but they're going to look at the overall body of work, not just three games in the World Cup. So I'm not uh, saying he's not a bad manager. No, I'm I don't think no, 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 he's, he's going to get like, offers of plenty, but like, yeah. are they the offers that he was going to get? Two and a half weeks ago, all things I don't being think he equal, was getting those offers anyway. Like I don't think a okay. Newcastle was coming in to make. Well, there wouldn't any house oh, great manager, yeah, but like yeah, yeah. you weren't getting like a Premier League club coming in. I, I think a Championship club. I think that that makes sense for him. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and maybe now it's not top of the table in Championship. Maybe it's mid table. But um, but that's still a pretty good move for him. This is a this is a moot point, guys, because John Herman's going to be here in twenty twenty six. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Next, so he says. Yeah, next, <laughs> next. Plus, yeah, I don't want to get there's a there's a hot take in that I want to throw out at the at the burning question. So I've got to censor fair, myself. Or I'm gonna fair enough. Um, there is a yeah. burning question here that I was going to say for burning questions, but I'm actually going to bring it up because it kind of loops into the last two talking points we we have here, which is sort of who's going to lead this team forward in this Alfonso uh, Davies fame issue thing that came up during the world cup, which is nonsense, but it came up and it's more around players making moves to Europe and what is the stepping stone for them? Should they be, the question is, and, and I'll read it from uh suggest CFC on Twitter. Many young Canadian men's national team players are making moves from MLS to Europe. Should youth players start heading to Europe at an earlier age to develop, or should they continue to develop in MLS? And I'll throw in CPL and other Please, thank domestically you. Yeah. Um, uh, to help, to help them grow or help the, in theory, it was the question is to help the league grow, but really in the end, it's really about helping the Canadian men's national team grow. Why does it have to be uh, binary? Why is it one or the other? That's my question. Or if you could maybe expand on that. Well, I mean, before MLS and before the CPL, that was the only way should youth players start heading to Europe and, and, you know, sign at the, at the Norwegian third division and, and, you know, live eight to a, to a flat kind of thing. Um, I don't think it's binary. I think every player's development path is different. I think this crop of, of the Canadian men's national team, it, it, it absolutely is that in sharp relief, right? You look at Ishmael Kone, you look at uh, Kyle Larian, you look at Richie Larea. I mean, our team is stacked with with people that didn't necessarily go that linear route and kind of found their way. Um, I, 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 I think it's different for every player. And, the, and you know, we have to believe that the cream will rise to the crop. And we're in a much different position now than we were 
four years ago and will be in a much different position four years from now. The CPL will have four more years under its belt. You know, MLS is only getting better and better in terms of its position in the global soccer mosaic. So I don't think it's it's a question that needs to be asked. I think young players, there's more opportunities for young players now. So wherever that opportunity comes from, you know, because the question the question that he's that that's kind of being asked here is do players want to go to Europe? Well, of course they do. You know what I, I mean? I think the question so, really is which is the best route for players to go? Is it is it to go to Europe early and develop any, or if, is it to stay here domestically develop and then go? And if we knew then every player would develop perfectly. Well, I it's think like you're, my, I think it's like the movie the question point. like if yeah. if a product if we knew how to make a hit movie, then every movie would be a hit movie, and there'd be no box office yeah. bombs, right? Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of things we don't know. Um, mm. Yeah, just I, I agree with you though, Jeff. I think every player is so different, and it's all dependent on the player itself and their situations and and what they want personally. Um, what I'll say is, man, if, if you can get into Montreal's academy, that's yeah. Stay along. That's cute. We should we should have a ticker for shots across the bow of CF Montreal over the course of this show. I mean, depends which way you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. You're right. Like, listen, like the the bar is being raised, right? Every time this Canadian men's national team takes the pitch at a major tournament and every time they take the pitch, quite frankly, the bar is being raised in terms of what mm-hmm. it takes now to get into this men's national team. And when you look at a team like, I I, I, I don't know, I know some people don't like this, but I love this comparison, um, the U.S. men's national team and oh, yeah. where they are right now in terms of the roster and where those players pro- play. And predominantly... Players on their team apply their trade overseas and apply their trade in Europe. So I think, quite frankly, if the situation is right, and there's a lot of asterisks that that come with that, if the Mm -hmm. situation is right, you get your playing time, you're in a league that challenges you in the best position that you can, you get proper exposure, and the list goes on and on and on. If the situation is right, I think Europe is better than MLS for players that aspire to be national team players. I I get that. And you're probably for the most part, right, Mike, I will say again, you've seen it on the ground level um, at MLS and with TFC. I've had the privilege of seeing it on the ground at CPL level to Jeff's point. The path is the path that you need to take at that moment because there are players that are talented that just blossom at a different time who just figure it out and put it together at a different rate. There are some players out there that are, you know, at 15, that player is going to be elite and world class. Mm -hmm. And yes, of course, if they get a pipeline to Europe and get to the biggest clubs, Go for it. Absolutely. Of course. But there are a lot of guys out there that are good and just need that little extra time. And Europe isn't a realistic option at that point. They can stay home or go into the draft in MLS or go through an academy in MLS and develop there and still become national team players because you use the U.S. as an example. And a lot of those players that you talk about have gone to Europe, started applying their trade in MLS. 
right? Whether mm-hmm. it's through an academy and going straight to Europe or actually playing on a first team and then going to Europe. But then- so I think there are still valid reasons to have some players continue to develop domestically and make it to the national team. The one issue I take with that is, again, on Montreal side, if you're a Canadian player and yep. you want to go Here through comes. an MLS team and an MLS academy, how many have gone through a team like Toronto FC and Vancouver Whitecaps? I'll throw them into that, aside from, mm-hmm. obviously, Alfonso Davies. Um, and have made a strong case overseas, right? There's Fair. there's not yeah. that many. Um, Fair. Sam Atacube, I guess you can kind of throw into that mix. And but we're at the ways. start of that process, really. Exactly. Like if you're, again, yeah, I mean, look at look at what's happening in the last two weeks. Like, yeah, we're at the very yeah, beginning. If you're of this charting process. this as in terms of, and I I agree with you, Mike. I think using the United States as a benchmark for us at this time is the correct thing to do because I think, you know, I always say it in in our progression. If you look at the United States historically, going back to Italian ninety, yep, yep, we I well think said. are at a we're going to grow at a faster pace than they did to get to yes. where they are now. Correct. So Absolutely. from that perspective, we're still at the baby stages of that, but we're accelerating really quickly. So I think there's still a case for both. So Sergis, I, I don't think we I've kind of answered your question, but really in the end of the day, I think there is still a pathway for both. And I think both are still going to be incredibly important uh, for for Canadian national team player development. I'm going to hold the Alfonso Davies thing because kind of there's a burning question that I'm going to bring up for that. So I'm going to hold that. (laughs) But the last question we'll ask about the national team here is just, you know, Atiba is going to be out of this cycle, I think, um, unless he decides to grow bionic legs or something. So (laughs) um, who... Who captains this team going forward? Who is sort of that? I know there's a leadership council and that will still continue, but a lot of those leadership council, you think Victoria will be out. Um, you think Atiba will be out. There's a good chance Junior is going to be. No, I knew you were going to say it and it still hurts. Right. Mm-hmm. So who who are the next sort of leaders that are going to take this thing to the next level? My favorite DP. It's got to be Oso. The man, the man <sighs> has said in... He, my the man has said in interviews, I feel I was put on this earth to play for the Canadian men's national team. Like this is public knowledge now. Give him the armband, guys. Just just do it. Just give him the armband. Um. Uh. I. I mean, I'm I'm prepared to hear other arguments, but to me, it's it's Oso. The, the one argument against Oso would be: Will he see the pitch enough in 2026? Right. It's fair. Uh, I. I don't know if he will. I mean, again, Ozo's aging like fine wine, and it seems to get mm-hmm. better year after year. So maybe he will make an argument to see the pitch, but I'm not too sure with the way that Ismail Kone is developing. And obviously, Stachio is is right there too. So that, that's tough. Um, I, would, I would have shouted out Junior Hoylet. Uh, I think he still is going to be good enough to see at least some playing time. Uh, definitely warrants the Love shout to hear it. he is the lineup. He probably is the men's national team captain. Um, that leaves me with three candidates that I'm kind of juggling over here. Now, uh, the first one, not a surprise, Alfonso Davies, right? He is the face of this men's national team. He's beloved in the dressing room, and he's more experienced despite being one of the youngest players uh, on the team than anyone else on this men's national team roster. He's done things and seen things that other people simply can't, and he still Fair. does lead by example on the pitch. So uh, that's one that you can't overlook. Uh, the other one, Stefan Estacchio. 
uh, I mean, what is there left to say about this guy? And he's like, he's like <laughs> your traditional captain where he's not as beloved in terms of the fan base. Like, I don't men's national team fans love Steven Asakia, but he's not as well known. You know, and he, and he quietly goes about his business, does his job, and is still a really, really solid player that is super reliable and just seems uh, like a coach's favorite type of player. So Stefan Estaka is the one. And the last guy, um, and I got to give credit to James Sherman on this because we did this segment on 442, and he shouted this out, and I was, I was jaw-dropping because I'm like, damn, I really wish I thought of that. It's mm. Alistair, Alistair Johnson. Said that last week. Wow. Yeah, Alistair Johnson was uh i think such a great show by charms just he is the best spoken individual um we've come across he always does media um like any sort of request that he you can get alistair johnson to really represent your team mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and that's a good shout good one charm he uh yeah he doesn't back down from a tackling understands what it means to wear wear the canadian shirt right and he's such a true feel-good story based on where he's come to where he is now uh, that was that was a fantastic show, and I can fully get on board for Alistair Johnson. Four, four years of old firm derbies and, and winning titles in the SBL. Yeah. You know, we, he might be a monster in 2026. So yeah. I, there's, a, no, there's, there's no wrong call there. To me, there's no wrong that's call there. That's a great there. show. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I got goosebumps no while you were saying Fonzie because I remember Herdman coming out and saying, it, you know, it was, it was common knowledge, like maybe a year ago when Fonzie came back from UCL, that everybody, Herbman and his whole staff, were like, "How does Bayern Munich train? What was it like going to to play in these games and, and that sort of thing?" But then I think about him grabbing that ball to take the penalty kick when he absolutely shouldn't, and I'm like, uh, "Is he ever going to get that out of his system?" I mean, I I don't like my captains to 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 be that flashy sometimes, and I think Eustachio is a good shout. And I'm also remembering in the same article that I read where Oso said he was born to play in the Canada shirt. He also admitted that he's maybe not the most popular teammate because he's so fiendishly competitive and he demands a lot on the pitch. So there's there's pluses and minuses for all. Um, let's just give it to Junior Hoylet then because that's that, – that, that's <laughs> Hey, look, if Junior Hoylet is around in 2026, then yes, he will get mm-hmm. the armband. That's easy. Um, but mm-hmm. I think any of the people, Mike, you shouted, I don't think you'd go wrong with any one of them really. I think yeah. I have a feeling that it will be Alistair Johnson down the road. Um, wow. as it sort of, as it sort of settles out, I just, I, for the points that you made, I think from a media perspective, I think from the personality perspective, like, I think he would be a bridge between all the different sort of groups within the team. Um, and, and that would be somebody that would probably best fit that armband. I, I just for sentimental and per- personal reasons, I would love Oso to do it. I mean, it would be amazing to be Oso to be captain. Me, Ka- Oso has been the captain of Toronto FC really for the last three seasons. He's done um, it before but, for Canada too. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. But but we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see uh, come uh, March what happens uh, and who takes the armband uh, when Nations League gets going. Uh, but guys, let's uh, transition a little bit uh, into a little TFC talk and. <laughs> I want. I just. We got to talk about it because Mike, you had uh, a little bit of uh, you know an opportunity to hang with Sebastian Javinko during the Morocco Jealous. game. Uh, FOMO. And, uh, you got to talk to him a little bit, and of course, you went and just stirred the pot by asking the question, uh, and it lit TFC Live on fire uh, in terms of do you want to come back? And he said yes, and everybody's like, do it now, and. I've got my issues around it. I don't think it's uh, not your question, just the the 
<laughs> do you do it or not? And I'll get my point across, but basically let's talk about it because everybody wants to talk about it. And I try to avoid it as much as possible. <laughs> really, this is not going away. Not our man, Mike. He, he, he welcomes it. He yeah, loves it. Welcome. I mean, to be fair, guys, to be fair, if you're interviewing Sebastian Giovinco in Toronto and you, yeah. you got to ask that, that damn question. My yeah, favorite right. Reddit comment was, what is it going to take? Do we have to show a picture of like overweight, like fat Ronaldo Seba at 50 for people to finally stop saying, can we sign him to the team? And I, I thought that was hilarious. Um, Mike, you go first, which, whichever Mike you guys, you guys well, can fight amongst well, yourselves. Let me, <laughs> let's, let's paint the, paint the story first, right? Yeah. So Sebastian Javinko obviously wanted to come back to Toronto FC for a while, uh, came to training camp with GFC last year, was invited to camp uh, on the merit that, you know, money wouldn't be an issue. And like I said in, in, in my report with 442, I can confirm that it was not an issue, that Sebastian Javinko was accepting uh, a verbal offer of the same contract as Benoit Sheru to come back, which, if you look it up, it's $150,000 a year, right? So that's pennies um, in terms of just how much a player costs and how much the salary cap hit is, right? So that wasn't that. The next question would have been, okay, what kind of role will, will Sebastian Javinko play? Well, he told me that he's, he was willing to come off the bench and play 20, 30 minutes um, for TFC. So, okay, if role's not an issue, that's obviously ideally what you would want out of a player like Sebastian Javinko at this point in his career. What exactly um, is the holdup there? Is sort of the way that I framed it because... To me, and this is just my opinion, um, especially last season, it really made sense, uh, or it doesn't make sense why not, I guess. Um, mm. Because, A, you'd get so much allure and fan credit for bringing Sebastian Javico back. That's a good PR move. B, he's, he's, he's not going to be the same Sebastian Javico, but having him as a weapon for 20 minutes a game as a piece off the bench. I don't know. Like, is that really the worst thing in the world? Uh, I don't know about that. Um, and then I guess, so that leaves me like, why, what's, what's the holdup with, with getting this done? Cause I thought it should have based on what I was presented from Sebastian Javinko. Let's make that perfect. Mm -hmm. That's, that's from him. So you know, maybe there is a differing view from TFC, but I understand that there's not. Um, what was the holdup, though? And I don't understand why something like that wouldn't get done. I mean, allocation order. We're currently number two. He would still have to go yeah. through the allocation draft, so we would have to trade. Yeah, you'd have to pay for us, that. It would cost us some assets, so it's not 150k over and done with. There is still going to be an outlay of cash to to, to do allocation order. Uh, would, and then it would be very minimal, but yeah. I mean, but it's still money, right? And and we're up against it. And and there are there are you know it's, I, I it's not la, last order. season that's not the issue. Well yeah, la, last season last way. season I would have agreed with you. I thought I thought last season it was a done deal and I was happy to see it even before the disaster that was last season. This season uh, there's so many areas it's, of need that usurp Sebastian It's Giovinco. not going to happen, sir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not saying it isn't going to happen. Yeah. But I, I just want to like kind of pull the curtain curtain back. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just present the facts and, and ask why. Yeah. It hasn't happened. 
happening. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go with my point as to why I'm, I, I'm against it. And, and to be perfectly honest, I have nothing against personally against Sebastian Kubinko or anything like that. My, my reason behind why I don't think this is a move that we really need to make is I, I just, I question whether or not, you know, TFC is talking about moving forward, right. Forgetting the, not forgetting the past, but like starting to move forward and trying to, track a new era of Toronto FC and build this club in a yep. way that it could once again be competitive um, at that level. And I get it right. Financially. Yes. it co- uh, Yes. From a financial, purely financial perspective and what the role that Sebastian Javinko may have accepted last year. Sure. And maybe even this year, I guess my question is one, you know, if you have Sebastian Javinko and you only doing it really for like the member berries, like, are you only doing it because it's kind of like, a nostalgia hit for 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 fans pr wise sure okay fine but really in the end of the day as you said most fans are remembering the sebastian javinko that won an mvp award that brought us to a final that was fantastic in 2016 that isn't the same guy anymore and to me as much as okay he gives you 20 minutes off the bench that's fine but could you find somebody younger that could potentially actually give you more impact off the bench with either either a same number even if it's a little bit more right i i just think that there is this sort of thing where we're trapped between wanting to move forward as a club in our mentality and how we think about signing players and and looking at this team and a oh i really want the good old days back let's let's read re-entry draft Victor Vasquez and maybe let's talk about signing Sebastian Javinko. That's what I was going to say. Right. And, and like Victor but, Vasquez, mm. how do you, how do you feel about that? Like the, the fact that the team did that, cause I would have, I would have viewed, you know, I would have taken that point that you just made completely. Had it not been for the fact that TFC literally just redrafted. Victor yeah. 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 I mean, it, the thing is one, they haven't signed him yet. So who knows? Yeah. What offer they have offer they do so and i think that time period is now passed right i think it's like seven days so they had had to have offered they, they him something it. by yeah. now yeah so i mean again i'm not I, i'm I, i'm not the biggest fan like if there's again there's got to be someone else right there's got to be someone else that you can get out there um you know that can fill the role that you need right like if, if it's really if the only idea that we have is bring back victor Van- ask us that's yep. the end i've got some concerns about how we might be building this thing now i'm not saying he's going to start every game or play a ton of minutes but again that's the question of what are we right and this is the thing we've been having this conversation for the last there is years. what are we going to be as a club and if it's going to be hey every time we're stuck let's just go get the thing that worked before and try it again five years later but then I i'm not sure that's that. really the it's way to like, move forward as a club we're not doing the same thing Right. This isn't what well, we're oh, signing the same players. I mean, at the end of the day, players at different points of their careers to play completely different roles. Like at the end of the day, what we learned from Toronto FC last year is that you need MLF's depth pieces. And Absolutely. I'm not I'm not convinced that Sebastian Javinko can't be an MLS depth piece at some capacity. I don't, I don't disagree. But if the conversation is who are we giving the Ben Washeru special deal to the guy from the Masia who was second only to Messi and maybe his better when they were coming up or Sebastian Giovinco, there's only one answer to that question and it will forever be Victor Vasquez. I mean, we wanted him to, we wanted him to, to switch into coaching when he was playing for us the first time. Right. 
and we lost Benoit Cheru, whatever faff that was going on at TFC three so, when he when he scurried back to France. It's a no brainer for me. If it's if if the two of them are fighting for that right. same Benoit Cheru special, there will only ever be one answer, and I don't care who owns that, the Juventus Academy. Yeah. The thing that is a Benoit Sherry special, what makes it a special, is that it's not a, a a serviceable cap hit that you have to dish out. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can get mm-hmm. 11 of those guys and fit them You're on right. your roster. You have, you, have right. you have 30 spaces on your roster. TFC didn't even use all 30 of their spaces last season. This is this is inarguable. I, You're absolutely right. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm trying to present it out there just so... And, and that's fair. I think to me, it's it's one of those things where one, if I'm looking at Sebastian Bigger right now, has not played a competitive match in a year, mm-hmm. maybe a little, a little of this year, right? Crashed out at Sampdoria. Didn't, yeah, wasn't, and, I wasn't mean, as look, advertised it, at Al Halal. Like, sure, and, and look, and look, the, the, we could talk about the production dropping over the last couple of years, whether it was at Al Halal or at Sampdoria, right? The the, the situations mm-hmm. just could have been different. I just, again, I'm just trying to figure out what we're trying to be as a club. And and last season, I can see why you don't sign him. Because you're trying to break through some of the young players. Now, of course, part of that is out of necessity. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, but you still have young pieces that you want to figure out what they are. Having a Sebastian Javinko block someone's route, right, to figuring that out. So to me, it's like, why Is are we though? bringing him in? Yeah, mm. I think so. Because I think you're under pressure from fans to play him, right? You're under those. And now, does Bob Bradley cave to fans? Probably not. But at the same <laughs> time, right, there's still going to be that pressure. If you sign Sebastian Javinko in this market, everybody wants him to play. You think you're not going to walk into BMO Field and people aren't going to be chanting Sebastian Javinko. That'll be me. Oh, that, right? that'll be me. Of I mean, right? every and time there's the a thing. dead ball situation, that'll be me. So he's not on the pitch. I, I, you're I, still I, doing that. So like, I, I, I mean, think, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, 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 I think, distraction. I mean, it's dangerous because obviously it could fall. It could, it could absolutely end up with mud in the face for the club, right? Everybody wants 2017 Seba. They ain't going to get 2017 Seba. And if we get, you know, worst case scenario, like worst possible timeline Seba, it's look terrible for everybody involved. But Mikey makes a very good point. We're talking about Benoit Cheru specials. So what they're doing off the field is almost as important as what they're doing on the field. And if we've got Seba training our young youngins uh, how to take those vicious free kicks, that may be worth 150 grand. Great. Sign you him know as what coach. I mean? Sign him as coach. Just give him an offer to, to coach in the academy. You know? Like they, why can't, they, you know, like what's wrong with that? Well, if it if it costs us one season of him coming in as an impact sub, 20, 30 minutes to achieve that, again, the Benoit Sheru special goes both ways. That's what we thought would happen with Benoit. He didn't last in the in the you know in the coaching uh, situation as long as we would have liked. Um, but I'm I'm willing I'm willing to ante that up. If if it, if one more season of lacing up at BMO in a limited capacity is is allows Seba to say I'm ready to retire now. I'm going straight to coaching. That's worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you know, Mike. You make a lot of good points here. I'm not, I, you know, I, 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 I closed the book on this, but you made some great points. Well, I and would, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And then to I would ask. Honest, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I personally would really want Sebastian Jovanko back at Toronto FC at this point, but I just need. I'm again. I'm just trying to present the facts, what I know, and trying to paint the picture as to why not. Um, mm-hmm. And me personally, why I wouldn't want Sebastian Javinko is because I 
I see the club trying to turn the page here and trying to move forward into a different light and different chapter in sort of what Toronto FC is. But at the same time, if you're redrafting Victor Vasquez and trying to bring Victor Vasquez back and you see good qualities of him that could make your team better, I don't understand why you can't see some good qualities. So far, I'll tell you exactly why. Fair point. Victor Vasquez played a game in October. <laughs> he played recently. Okay, but also take a this good back point. a year. Take this conversation back a year, then, when Sebastian mm-hmm. Tavanko's in training camp with Toronto FC. Why doesn't a deal get done then? I think a lot of cooks and a lot of open point. fires. Here's where I think it is. It's simply Bob Bradley doesn't rate him in that sense. And right. and and they hadn't had this season, Perhaps. so they they couldn't predict the future. And and of course, you know, there was a lot of good vibes that were dashed pretty quickly in 2021. Um, and I just think it was a consequence of the timing. You know that that those I, those I, people at that moment were very much not about looking back, and they were also we're going to sell Jaquil Marshall Ready to to Liverpool for 20 million euros, right? Like the, a lot changed. Hey, in there's the still year, interest so. in Liverpool. By the way. Absolutely, I'm not. I'm not Those discounting that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. Yeah, I, I, I can see why it didn't happen a year ago, and you know, again, VV for me is 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 a done deal. Like this, you know, the the pedigree of this guy. If if he wants to come back and it leads to coaching, you never say no to that, ever. I mean, the guys, the guys, elite. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you want you said here you wanted to make a conclusion. I think the conclusion is is this going to be hanging around like an albatross around <laughs> TFC's well, neck until that fifty what, year old fat Ronaldo photo surfaces on Reddit, no, no. basically. Because well, I'll, I'll like I'll put an end to it. It's not going to happen, guys. For those mm. holding out hope that Sebastian Jamaica is going to come back to Toronto FC, it's it's flat out not going to happen. It's not about money. It's not about what role he'll play. There's something else lingering. It's not about allocation order. It's not about how expensive he's going to be. It's not about some bogus stuff with him and his agent and ex-agent. Mm-hmm. Now he's suing his ex-agent. That's oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, our new best it's friend, Andrea D'Amico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something else there. Um, there's a, a reason why Toronto FC don't want to bring back Sebastian Javinko, and I don't know exactly what that reason is, but I just wanted to... All right. Well, well, thank you for that. I mean, I mean that 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 closes the book, right? It it ain't happening, but (laughs) but you know that that just means that just means that we're going to hear more angry uh, articles from Seba when he when he doesn't get what he wants, unfortunately. And and you know, there's a lot of people in the in the fandom that uh, that are going to buy that hook, line, and sinker because hope works both ways. Hope hope goes frontwards and backwards, and it's a it's a lovely it's a hell of a drug. Hope's a hell of a drug, guys. We got Bernadeski, everybody. Be happy. Um, all yeah. right. Uh, um, can I bring into- up what Richard just posted? Because, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Uh, he wrote, can I even uh, bring it up with it? my limited capability? Here it is. Here it is. Lorenzo Insigne looks like he's enjoying his trip back to Italy for the holidays. And any chances he has to be released from his TFC contract? Oh. I don't think so. Um, I won't completely rule it out i i think it's unlikely but i wouldn't rule it out that he's not a tfc player by the end of 2023 wow i wouldn't rule it out that was the thing i said about lorenzo insigne when he signed is like look this could work out really great he could be super happy and be amazing or he could get homesick and want to go home right like that's 
that it, to me, there were kind of two scenarios that could potentially happen here. And I wouldn't, Mikey, I don't think it Mikey's will happen. Mikey's little grin that he's hiding behind look, his I, hand I, right I, now is making me really scared. <laughs> no, I just, I, I just think yeah, it's I, possible. It's possible. Well, anything's possible. It, yeah. I don't think there's a chance that he's going to be released before the start of the season. Uh, I'll leave it at, like, he's going to be a TFC player, guys. Well, yeah, and, and, and is he homesick? Of course. Of 2023. By the end of 2023. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Like, things Again, can Who knows how highly unlikely, goes, right? Yeah. Highly unlikely, but I'll open a 10% door that it might happen. Any, yeah, I'll open a 10% can. door. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll open a 10% door. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a chance All that right. TFC want to release Lorenzo Insigne by the end of Holy Whoa. Whoa. Uh, I mean, uh, are they getting their money's worth? Money? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, are the bean counters losing their minds? Absolutely. Bean counters, I mean, that's their default setting. So I'm sure that there's people in that club architecture. What in your like, mind would precipitate that? Like, re, like, like, just hypothetically, like, what would make Toronto, I mean, outside of anything, like, legal, like, what, what would precipitate Toronto FC to be like, eh, you know what? I mean, cynically, Bill Manning opens up his laptop and sees somebody new at the top of transfer mark that, uh, that he could be using that money, that, that well, Lorenzo chatter on. Maybe Lorenzo Insigne isn't the captain guy they were getting from Napoli. Maybe he isn't the on-field, brilliant superstar that they thought they were buying with the enormous amount of money. Maybe he isn't that clubhouse leader that you you hoped you were getting. Maybe he turns into a problem off the field. Whatever it is, like, mm-hmm. is there a chance in twenty twenty three that fifty one million dollars to tell though? Are you that? kidding me? Because like, like think about the think about it this way. Like, yes, fifty million dollars is a lot and should get you a good player, but that also gets you really high expectations. And as yeah. Jeff just said, if you're not living up to those expectations, could that money be better spent elsewhere? And that's that's the question that I would yep. I would think about yep. as the season progresses, right? One hundred. It's also how you're going to evaluate the the transfer, and how you're going to evaluate, quite frankly, uh, a big part of Bill Manning's tenure here at Toronto FC. Yep, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, absolutely. Ten percent. The crack is open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's go into the questions here. Yeah. Let's let's let's, let's do, do it. it. All we'll right. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, what uh, this comes from. Uh, Jezbo JB or Jezza, thanks Jezza for uh, dropping in this uh, question here from Twitter. What's the worst Canadian men's national team take you've seen from a bandwagon fan, not including Chris Jones? Um, I'm including Chris Jones in this because that article, I mean, I know it's been taken to the cleaners by everybody 100%, but I'm going to go one more time. Th- mm-hmm. Like there are subtle undertones there that really bother me. Oh yeah, it's it's dog whistle that, city, absolutely. Yeah, but exactly, I don't I don't yeah. know if that was in, intentional. I I mean, you know, uh, um, uh, I've been I've been I, following I Chris on Twitter for a long time, and and he's generally like a, a cuddly teddy bear. I do I do think he had a point. He just mangled it, and uh, and and it, and the and the and the wording was a little a little choice. A little, um, a little Raheem Sterling ish. Um, yeah, a little, yeah. a little powerful and athletic kind of, kind of yeah, stuff. Guys. Yeah. But I was, but, wasn't uh, that. but guys, go ahead. But listen, I, I do think, I do think he had a point, you know, and I do think it's a failing of your favorite punching bag, the the CSA. Um, there is a responsibility. These people, the, these reporters, 
you know, because let's, you know, the, the reality is, is that he did talk to sport to TSN and, and the rights holders of the broadcast. It's only the mix zone. So the the riffraff, so to speak, the people from other outlets, uh, the print journalists that didn't, you know, he scores the man scores the first goal for the Canadian men's national team. That's a story. And then he's not in the mix zone to at least give the the, the usual quote. I mean, there's a point to this. These people have to write these stories. They're under deadlines and they're missing an, a very, very essential piece of that story. So I can understand the anger. I don't think it was delivered properly by any stretch of the imagination. I, and I don't think it needed to be delivered. I think it was pretty obvious. I mean, you read some other articles around that, that Croatia game and they found better ways to mention that they didn't get an Alfonso Davies quote without going for the, All right. going for the, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. You're going to jump in. Well, no, Mike, I want to throw it back to you because I feel like you were getting, you are making a good point. Uh, and I, I feel like you're about to drop some bars. Well, look, the, the reality is, is that, you know, when you start saying stuff about a young black athlete, right, about how he spends his money and it being an issue in a locker room and when it's not. Like, it's clearly the players have told us it is not an issue, right? That he is a mm-hmm. beloved member of that locker room. Regardless of whether – and I, I do somewhat agree with you, Jeff, I, I, in, in a way that I, I do think he could have made himself available or Canada Soccer could have made him available in the mix zone. I somewhat agree with that. Yeah. But the way that that article was delivered – Shit show. Really? Well, I mean, look, it, 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 what are you saying? You're saying that the young black athlete – that is popular across the country that is that is you know getting into the hearts of minds of canadians for some reasons rocking big earrings and that's a problem are you kidding me like that let is him wear a diamond suit think? i could i could give like, an f like but seriously but that, but historically yeah. that has been used against black athletes for i forever right and 100 that sh- it not swear that stuff with like the sun within like in the uk with again i and i tweeted out like what is the raheem sterling hatchet job of this because mm-hmm. that's what some players like raheem sterling had to deal with for a really long time and still do to a certain extent and that's yeah to me that is really problematic in the way that this came out and, and I, I, fair enough maybe he just didn't really use the right but he's a professional writer right and i and when you have a professional writer you trust them to be able to deliver the story in a way that really gets to what you're trying to say and that man is some i mean like you're you're it's nobody came out and really came out and said it like that but mm-hmm. i'm saying it like you can't you you use that kind of language yeah People, especially black people who read that, who follow sports, we have been hearing that for a really, really long time about famous black athletes, that they're a problem, that they're a nuisance in the locker room, that they're selfish. And mm-hmm. that and that is what it was trying to paint him out to be. And that is it was, really it was very responsible. It was very responsible because I 100% agree with you. I think there's a point to the article, but it was lost in the dog whistles and the bad writing and the lazy tropes and... Perhaps the anger, you know, and and the jet lag and whatever the case may be. But you're right. At the end of the day, you have a responsibility. There are other people that could be doing that job. You're you're breathing rarefied air and you have a responsibility. And it's and and it's even worse coming from a nation. I mean, listen, I I don't want to hand wave anything away because I, I think it was utter BS. But that naivete that I was saying the Canadian men's national team expressed at this World Cup, I think it can be 
uh, used to describe the journalist, the journalistic principle there at the same time. I think we learned a lot of lessons in every facet. And uh, yeah, but there's there was there's no excusing that there really isn't. I I, can't, I, I refuse to do it. I mean, there, you know, it, it feels like I'm, I'm hand waving away some really, really terrible uh, stuff. And I, I don't I don't I don't even want to be associated yeah. Go with ahead, that. Mike. So I'll stop talking. No. Yeah. No, no, no. But just thanks. No, I appreciate Mike for clarifying because even like reading that, um, and I saw a lot of the backlash because of it, especially that one specific line about the diamond earrings, um, mm-hmm. and just hearing your perspective, Mike, I, you know, it gives clarity on exactly why people are upset. So I think just having that conversation uh, is extremely important. No one here is saying you know Chris Jones is a racist. No one is out coming and, and saying that. But there mm-hmm. are certain things I think that people just have to be more aware of. Yeah. Um, it's, it's lazy trope. Writing sentences yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it does have certain implications, whether you're conscious of it or not. Um, because that is just how we've been groomed as, as a society for, for a very long time. Now, Alfonso Davies, should he be doing media? Yeah, man. Like, yeah, absolutely. Fonzie should be, absolutely should be doing media. Right. Is it worth having a hissy fit and writing, articles about it the day no. after no it's not absolutely not. there's better ways to take up your gripe with the fact that our star athlete didn't talk to you afterwards um than writing a clickbaity article that will paint him in a really negative light when he is quite frankly the best thing that has ever happened to this Canadian <laughs> men's national Yeah, 100%. The, 100%. What was the headline of the article? Is, is Alfonso Davies... Is his celebrity go, going to be a problem? a problem, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah paraphrasing. You know, we, should have, we should have worse players that don't get global recognition on Canada. So yeah. That's clearly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need, a, we need a global superstar that's going to capture everybody's imagination. He's no everywhere. Yeah. He is literally I mean, everywhere right now. Dude, like, if I, that, those BMO ads are start... They've, they've gone no. from cute Listen, to, to like a, absolute terrorizing me yeah, at this point. I, yeah. I mean, he I still a, love that he, Osmo's ad. It's my favorite ad of, the, of all time, I think. Like that that Laren Osmo's ad one. rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but listen, but, uh, Chris, Chris Jones had a hissy mm-hmm. fit because Alfonso Davies didn't talk to him when he wrote an article about it. That's essentially yep, what yep. the article was. Um, and let's not make it into anything bigger than that because that's, quite frankly, anything else is just so... Ridiculous. Fair. I will still stick to that point though because I think it is important thing as this team it's gets so more popular important. and like let's just be real here. A lot of this men's national team is first or second generation immigrants into this country. A lot of those players are black as well. Yep. Yes, let's not make it a bigger deal, but let's not forget it either because it is also uh, sort of put a pin in it in terms of let's see if this becomes more of a thing going forward. You can't have you I can't have it, it both ways. You yeah, you can't celebrate the diversity in almost all print and and television advertising and then go for the lazy tropes and dog whistles you know what i mean like you just you have a responsibility and i and i do feel that there was a lapse in that responsibility put a pin and i and i think I like it's it. yeah put a pin in it yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely okay uh last uh burning question here just in regards to tfc and the world cup and signings because uh mike you don't understand there are people tweeting us all the time be like are there new rumors are there anything new <laughs> guys no there isn't anything new just just chill um, but mm. this question comes from Rob, um, with TFC waiting until the end of the world cup to get signings done. Um, will there be enough time to get a full squad before February friendlies? 
I think we all well, know the answer to that. I I don't I don't think that they're waiting until the end of the World Cup World Cup like December eighteenth. I think actually might start hearing about some signings relatively soon. Um, but I do believe that a couple of big shoes will drop in terms of whether or not they can get a player or whether or not they they can't um, because there are players that are now out of the World Cup that TFC were were waiting on. Um, one of those players, of course. No surprise, Jonathan Osorio. And what he what's gonna go on with him will quite frankly, in a really big way, affect uh the outlook of the rest of this TFC offseason and what they have to yep. do. And they can't figure out their internal budget without figuring out Jonathan Osorio. So mm-hmm. we'll uh we'll see whether or not that gets done relatively soon. Now, in terms of will they have enough time? Yeah, I, I think you're gonna start seeing and I think I don't think this is just just TFC, I think this is MLS as a whole. You'll start seeing a flurry of, of moves rather quickly. Some of which I'm sure they've already, <laughs> Hello, CF yeah. Montreal. How's it going uh, over there? Well, there's sure report, they've already gone across the line. Yeah. There's yeah. a report from Third Degree, who's a pretty reputable FC Dallas uh, uh, blog that's saying that Toronto FC is the leaders in the Mad Hedges sweepstakes. We'll see how that goes. Um, but, uh, of course, there are other offers out there, some that might actually be more financially beneficial to him. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but long story short is I don't think you're going to be able to get every single piece ready before the start of the season. There are so many things they need to fill. Expect some still some moves in the summer window that are going to address yeah. Yeah. pieces and depth moves and things like that. It's funny. And the reason I'm saying I believe that they will is because Bill Manning literally – two months ago came out and said less than two months ago came out and said, that's going to be their priority is to get it. Everything done. Not just not by the first start of first training camp, but by the start of the second training camp, which as we've now learned is going to be in February. So. Pack your bag for Coachella, baby. Yeah. Taken by face value. Take his word at face value there. I, I do expect that they're going to do it. And anything less than that, quite frankly, is, not a success. No bueno. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's we'll hold see. them to task. We'll yeah. hold them to yeah, task. We've got some time. Um, all right, guys. Let's close this thing out. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Toronto Till I Die. We'll be back next Monday. Uh, big favors to ask. One, please subscribe to our new podcast feed and our YouTube channel. Uh, give us a like, review, subscribe on those channels. It helps get new ears, eyes on the show and expand the show as we're heading into the 2023 season. Believe it or not, guys, that season's coming real quick. Uh, first games in February. Uh, that's, uh, that's coming up quickly. Um, but uh, again, for Jeffrey P. Nesker and Michael Singh, uh, Mike Newell, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers, everybody. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.